I wish I had my tambourine. I tambourine? Actually, like, I, I don't know where my tambourine is, but I wish I had it. It's probably Why not gonna lie. Why would you need a tambourine? Just to feel the glory today. Welcome back to Fourth Wall. We are here with Miss Amber Imam. Yes. I love that you have two microphones. That has just brought oh. me a lot. Thank you. You, I must. I must. You got lucky because I don't have my tambourine with me. Normally, I carry my tambourine around, but I don't have it right now. But you know, it's okay. It's okay. I'll still give you a hand clap of praise. Hallelujah. Anyway, anyway, we're here with Miss Amber Mon. Let's get to what's important here. We are all over the place. Amber, how are you today? How are you on this on this afternoon? Today feels like it's going to be a good day. Thank you for asking. Yes, yes. Ask me, ask me. Corey, how was your day today? So, girl, today has been, you know, it's been a whole day already, and it's just 2 o'clock. Um, it's been mm-hmm. a whole day. Um, Mm -hmm. I was up, you know, I couldn't sleep last night. I don't know what it is, but it's okay. It's okay. I'm excited. I'm excited to be here with the Amber Iman. I mean, excited. Period. Not going to lie. When we had one of our like initial meetings, once I joined the team and I was like, they were like, who do you want to be on the show? Amber Iman was automatically on everyone's list. I mean, automatically on everyone's list. Thank you. All right. (laughs) Let's, let's jump on in. Let's jump on in. All right. So Amber, just tell the people, who are you? Who is the Amber Iman, just tell us in a few short words. Give us a just give us a little, give us a little a synopsis, a little bio, just a little quick one. If you ask me, I'm a Georgia Peach. I'm from Atlanta. <laughs> Period. I'm an artist. I'm an activist, and I'm real regular. That's my bio. If you want more, okay, than that. N- not regular, <laughs> not regular. Now she says she's regular. Not that. A schmegular type of chick. <laughs> not regular, schmegular, regular. <laughs> I'm not one of the people who hypes myself up. I think that's that's too much. <laughs> I try I'll to hype you okay. up. I'll hype you up instead. Amber, how did you discover theater? Like, how did you get into it? What made you want to pursue it as a career? Uh, my mother's an actress, so mm. it wasn't far from me. I think it's pretty much all I ever knew. Um, I'm an only child, so wherever she went, I was there. So I've grown up in rehearsal halls, on sets. Um, yeah, it was literally like, I, I don't think I knew anything else. I never wanted to do anything else. And having that level of access um, was super beneficial. It's also why I feel like my, the way I treat theater or the industry is different from most people. I think most people's relationship with theater and fame was distant and mine was like, my mother's an actress, so I know what it actually means. It's not about your name in lights or fancy premieres. It's like she works hard and sometimes she's unemployed and sometimes, you know, she goes six months with no gigs. Like, so I never had a romanticized version of mm. work. It was like, no, this is hard work and it is sacrifice and it takes a lot. So, um, I think that's why, like, when you're like, what's your bio? I'm like, I'm an actor. It's not like, well, let me tell It's like, no, I know what this really is and what it really takes. Um, 
Uh, so that's what I mean when I'm like, I'm regular, regular, schmegular. Like, I don't realize <laughs> it. I'm not like, I'm the industry. It's like, girl, we play pretend for a living. Like, we are glorified toddlers. We dress up. We say words we didn't write on stages we didn't build, lights we didn't hang. Like, we do the least and get the most money and the most credit. So, Woo! yeah, Woo! real regular. <laughs> Ooh, she dropped some bombs there. Okay. <laughs> Now, if you weren't listening, like I mean, you cut up your volume. Hear. Cut that volume up on your on your phone, please. I need y'all to tune on in. Wake up. To wake up, y'all. Oh, Jesus. All right. <laughs> so you went to Howard, correct? Absolutely. Come on. Come on. So let's just talk about what was your experience like um, while you were there working at an HBCU, you know, surrounded by Black joy, Black energy versus making the transition, you know, into you know, white spaces, you know, New York, you know, I know you did a little work in DC, but you know, once you moved to, you know, New York, you know, what was, you know, what's the tea? How'd you feel? What did, you know? I feel like I have to go backwards a little bit to high school. So I went to a predominantly white high school. I was um, a double magnet student. So I was in like AP Lit, AP Bio, but also drama. I was taking advanced algebra trig and also, you know, doing Midsummer Night's Dream outside. So there weren't a lot of programs that had both of those that were in my neighborhood. Um, so I was like getting on a bus every morning at 6.30 and going to the white side of town to go to high school. Um, and the experience there, it was, <laughs> I remember being called into the principal's office um, and being like, what is going on? Because I was an A student. And it was to be in a meeting with like, I want to call them the lay leaders because I'm a churchy chick, but it was like <laughs> the board of directors for the school. And they were like, well, we've noticed that the past three roles that you've played on our stage, you were a maid, you were an urchin in Little Shop of Horrors, and you were a witch in Macbeth. And we're worried that the community will think we're racist because of the roles that you've been playing. So they wanted to pull me out of a role that I was auditioned for and was cast in and put me in a different role because it would make them look less racist in the community. And I was like, oh, wow. Like it kind of was, I mean, I had been the token and I had had white teachers who, when I told them, oh, maybe I'll go to Howard, they were like, ew, what is that? You know, and, and I'm not gonna lie, I had drank a little bit of the Kool-Aid being in a white school. Cause I, you know, I wanted to go to Northwestern with my girl, <laughs> like we were gonna be actors. And when my mom even was like, let's look at Howard, I was like, who goes there? And so it was kind of like, we took a trip to Howard um, one weekend because I had gotten all these scholarships and was trying to figure out where I was gonna go. And walking onto that campus and seeing all in black people, I think like something in my brain started to click a little bit. And I realized that, you know, for the next four years of my life, I need to be in an environment where I'm challenged, but also mm. surrounded by people who look like me, because these are the people I'm going to be competing with for roles for the rest of my life, not Becky and Kellyanne. And just to be in an enriching environment was something that, I mean, grew up on the South Side, go to a Black church, Black everything, but for high school, which are very important years, I had been with white people. So... Howard was probably one of the smartest decisions I ever made. I got an academic full ride. So I went Come in, on. like, blessed and out of faith. And, I mean, going to an HBCU, there's nothing like it. It is one of the most, I mean, for, to, I, don't, I don't think we realized it while we were there. But when I look back, I'm like, for four years, white people had no power. They had no opinions. They had no control. There was no white gaze. We, I didn't. I don't even remember white people for the whole four years. And I had white teachers. And there were a couple of white students on campus. But like, 
we were so safe. It was like being in the army. Like we was just tucked away from the rest of everybody mm-hmm. and protected and allowed to play and live. And I, 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 I know that I didn't take full advantage of it because I didn't realize what magic I was blessed to be a part of. But just to have teachers pour into you spiritually, physically, emotionally, to have you know, teachers put $20 in your hand, you know, when you can't go home for Thanksgiving, like one of our professors would throw down and we would just go to his house and like eat and be black as hell. Soul food Thursdays in the cafeteria, like just so much blackness and so much beauty. I just remember um, on Thursdays, all the business students had to dress in suits and we would sit on the steps of fine arts and just watch black men parade with with briefcases and suits and just, ooh. <laughs> so much I mean and the way like Felicia Rashad would pop up Taraji Henson would pop up people would just pop up on campus and come to the fine arts department and just be like I don't want to do a master class I just want to talk like can everybody just come to the theater and yes the hell we would just run to the theater and just hear what they had to say and they would pour into us so yeah Howard was just I, next to the Lord best decision I ever made <laughs> It's so that had to be for like your self worth. We had an episode called like the miseducation of black BFAs, and we talked to three BFA students from predominantly white top MT programs, and um, I did uh, top with quotes for the people who can't see that. Um, and <laughs> they were like all of them were just talking about like how like how demeaning and how degrading their programs and how it broke down their sense of self-worth self-worth and they had to build it all back up after graduation how did that like I'm sure that that like instilled such a level of self-worth and self-respect like how did that now like how did that translate when you left it's crazy because like now I people ask me to do like I don't teach voice, but I will do like, if you want help with song interpretation, I do a lot of like voice classes for that. And I realized that 95% of my work is actually just therapy because these kids have gone to schools that told them what their voice couldn't do, who they couldn't be. Like, I'm never really teaching them anything. It's just being like, oh, you spent hundreds of thousand dollars for white people to tell you you were less than. And it blows my mind. Like, we, we, we could do anything. And we did it. Like we, no one told us what we couldn't be. We could be everything. If we were surrounded by empowered and empowering and encouraging black legends who encouraged us to do whatever we wanted. And I think that's why sometimes it's a culture shock when you go back into the world or you get to Broadway and you're like, you telling me I can only be trash cat number three on stage left? Like, who are you, white person? <laughs> like, it blows my mind to see how many people are moving through our industry just broken and hurting and and how that brokenness sometimes manifests itself into anger. Like there's so many people who are accused in, about in our industry of being angry or being difficult. And it's like, no, they spent four years with white people telling them they were nothing. And this is just how it's manifesting itself because it that energy has nowhere else to go. Um, I am so grateful. You know, Howard, not only is it good for self-esteem, like the thing most people don't know about HBCUs is we don't ever have no money. Like the facilities and the money that white people have, we don't have. But 
HBCUs teach you how to hustle, how to make something out of nothing because we never have anything. <laughs> like when we work in the costume department, like we are patching shit together, like we slaves running north. Like we are <laughs> dealing with like the scraps and the crumbs, but it helps you, it fortifies you. You know, like my Howard connection, my Howard network is strong because we went through the trenches together for four years. And what our teachers instilled in us is community. Is that when you graduate, here Here's everybody you need to know what city you're moving to. Here are the 10 Howard folks that's in that city. Here's their telephone number. Here's their email address. Like we roll deep because that is what Howard instills. Community, pooling your resources, working together, and not letting nobody white especially tell you what you cannot do. Period. Period. <laughs> Period. Period. It's just so amazing and i honestly just hearing you speak about your experience because elena and i honey we did not have that we did mm-hmm. not have that just hearing you talk about because you know i'm a big boy you know i like to eat so you know just hearing you talk about you know in the cafeteria eating good we didn't have that we didn't have that we just to understand like every thursday fried pork chops fried chicken greens macaroni sweet potato yams peach cobbler every th- like every single Thursday and you knew exactly what time to go to the cafeteria so the fried chicken was hot you knew which cafeteria lady was gonna keep you that extra corner piece of peach cobbler on the side like <laughs> it wasn't a game <laughs> it was not a game we ate gut <laughs> yeah we just we had nasty spaghetti and uh bread every day we just I finally had to stop eating in the calf because it just, it didn't help me. I was getting real skinny. I remember, I'll never forget freshman year coming home for the first time. My mom was like, Corey, where you go? I was skinny. I said, I'm not eating that. I'm not, I literally, I was like, I'm not eating that. So I'll never forget. My grandmother literally prepared me a Thanksgiving meal and I carried it back to school. And I tell you, when I tell you, I tried to make those meals last as long as they could. I tried to make those because I am not eating your spaghetti and your bread that tastes the same. It should not taste the same. And it did. It did. Wow. It should not taste the same, and it did. I promise you. That's why I had no money because I started eating Chick Fil A every day. That's I well, started eating Chick Fil A every day. That's why I'm broke that's, now. That's the part about because our cafeteria we had that, and we had Chick Fil A was like in our cafeteria, so we was just eating fried chicken. Just was fried chicken. Just all. <laughs> just everywhere is chicken. I what you said. My mom works at a HBCU. She works at Johnson C Smith. Uh oh. She works at John C Smith in Charlotte, North Carolina, and. Like they do not have money at all. Like they don't get they don't get all the money that your favorite white schools get. And it is literally about them all using their connections and working. And like my mom specifically works with students who age out of the foster care system. So she like her whole thing is about hustling to make sure that they know that they can make money, they can live life, they can have a successful career. Um, and that is something about the HBCU culture in general is just instilling that we have to, like what you were saying earlier, like we have to compete with each other anyway for so many things. Like let's not gang up on each other. Like let's let's all work towards making sure we don't have to rely on these white people around us. And so that was, ooh, that is, you, you preach it to the choir. But yeah, like Corey said, we we had such a white establishment. Now, thankfully I I annoyed them. Like I, I don't let them get away with anything. So we still do, we're doing okay right now, but ooh. I'm glad white. that I am glad though, even though we were just whitey white white, I'm glad that we could the few, you know, black people that we had, we could get together and we could have our little meals, you know, we could find a house to go to, we can have our, you know, chicken, you know, even though our eyes are, you know, smoking from the smoke, we in there about to cry because Michael's about to, you know, burn the chicken. 
and the pasta. Oh I'm glad God, that, that we could. Crazy. I'm glad that we could, like, you know, get together when we could. You know, Kiki, because you know we didn't right. get that often. We didn't get that often, or it was. You always, always a gotta problem. find your black people in a room. Yeah, yeah. And go and, up to them and be like, "We're friends now." Yeah. Cause you know they. Ooh. <laughs> Ooh. <laughs> Ooh, I'm glad I'm out of there. Elena, you almost done. You almost done. You almost done. Yeah, All right. Yeah, yeah. All well, right. we might just be done. Oh, well, anyway, anyway. Oh. Um, Amber, <laughs> you not only are a queen of the stage. <laughs> You've also <laughs> entered into the land of screen, um, writing and starring in your own film, Come okay? On. Like a bad bitch should, yes! okay? She has won, you've won several awards over several film festivals, okay? Let's just sit here and think on that for a moment. Um, a film starring you and an animal, yeah. um, Steve. How did you, what gave you the idea to write something like that? I've heard you talk a little bit about it in different interviews about like the impetus for like how you got the story, but what made you even want to pursue film and how do you plan on incorporating film into your career as you move forward? I always liked short films. I always was kind of drawn to that medium. I remember finding years ago, this website that just, was like a library of a million short films. And that seemed tangible to me. Like, I don't, I'm a little bit OCD. I don't have like major motion picture, like two hour long brain energy. That's too much. Um, mm -hmm. I mean, I'm sure I could learn, but like, I'm a little, I just need it quick. So <laughs> I had always been interested in it, but not really known. Like, I don't know anything about film, how to get in it, how to get started. And while I was doing Hamilton, um, some students came, they were at an AFI and they came and saw Hamilton and they asked me to do vocals, to sing like background music for their short. And we were talking about payment. I was like, actually, what if you don't pay me? Actually, what if you just teach me a little bit about like short filmmaking? And I knew that I had short like film friends who worked in the industry. And I was like, maybe when I get back to New York, I can connect with them on some level, but like, I have to be honest, like I never fully imagined me actually producing it. And I think that's a hang up of like, when we're actors, like we act. Cause somebody told us you're an actor, so you act. And I don't think we often allow ourselves to dream beyond that fully. Like we daydream about it and it could be cool, but to actually like speak it into existence and like manifest, like I can actually produce a film. I think there was fear in that fear that like I didn't have the tools, I didn't have the skills, I haven't gone to school. So I, I kind of like never really like had follow through. Like the guys who I sang for, like I never really had the lunch with them and got the knowledge. But doing Hamilton for a year and coming back off the road and being like, what now? I, my year, my word I, every year, like I give myself a word like try or forward or follow, follow through was my word for like 2018. It has been my word ever since. And I was like, okay, I got off the road. There was a mouse in my apartment. It did wreak havoc over my life. And there were moments when I was in my apartment as a 30 year old woman, like this is fucking ridiculous. Like somebody should be watching this. Cause this is absolutely insane. Like I'm wearing snow boots in April in my own house. Cause I don't want to feel his tiny rodent toes on my toes. I've already experienced that. So I was like, okay, 
I had lunch with a friend, my friend Jason Hightower, who works in film, like that's his real job. And I was like, I have an idea. I think I wanted to be a short. I don't know nothing about shorts, but like, just give me like the three biggest mistakes all, you know, short filmmakers make. And when I pitched him the idea, he was like, so we're making this. And I was like, that's not what I asked you. And it just literally, another black man looking into my face, hearing me and being like, you need somebody to stand in the gap. You need somebody to push you. And you you have an idea. You just need somebody to fill in the holes and like help you. Cause I, I'm like, I can write it and I can cast it, but I don't know anything else. So having him there and having him also push me and then me push him. We also both went where? To Howard. And we know about pooling resources and working together. So it was just, the impetus was like, I'm getting older and I want to have more control over my narrative and my life. Like everything that I do is based on if my agent calls and what shows producers decide to do. And like, there's also like certain roles that come and it's like, what if I don't want to be seen like that? I think I could carry a movie. I think I could carry a TV show. And when you don't get cast in those roles, you start to think, Oh, maybe I can't. And it's not because you don't have the ability, it's just the opportunity hasn't presented itself. So I was like, well, what if I create that opportunity? The whole thing was really like a therapy session. Like the whole thing was really like undeprogramming myself from what the industry taught me. Like I lived in New York seven years and had never been on TV. Like that messes with you. You really start to think it must be me. It must be something I don't have a talent or a skill I don't possess. And it's like, nah, they just whack. And I'm waiting on people to give me permission to be great. And why am I doing that? So literally all of those things working together, like just low self-esteem, depression, anxiety, tired of waiting, wanting to take more control and saying, you know what? I'm gonna follow through. I'm gonna produce the thing. I'm gonna make it happen. It kind of all worked out. And it's my first film ever. I've been accepted in over 20 film festivals. It's won Best Actor, Best Short, Best Comedy, Best Screenplay. Like, it was like the sign from God that I needed that like, you might know what the hell you doing. You know what I mean? My first film ever is like, right now we're in an international film festival. Like people eating baguettes, watching Steve, you know? <laughs> like, it's amazing. <laughs> so it's just really like, Steve was the blessing I didn't know I needed just to really help me access a different part of my mind and give myself permission to do something else. People is eating baguettes. I (laughs) croissant, bitch. (laughs) (laughs) Homemade pasta, okay. Their pasta and bread does not taste the same, huh? Does not taste it. Okay, not Olive Garden, okay? You know what? You know what? You know what? I am angry with the two of you right now. I am angry. Uh, okay, am did angry. not come from the the Garden of Olives. Okay, I am, I am angry. Oh, the Lobster of Red. Okay, I actually, okay. I'm not the biggest Red Lobster fan, but we'll get on that. We'll talk about that another time. I'm, we'll talk about that another time. They got okay. some good bread though, but I gotta stop eating bread. It's the gotta, MSG that be killing you. All we go for is the biscuits, and we stay yeah. for the shrimp. But- <laughs> I was, 
I was, you know, real quick, I was talking to my friend Noelle and she was like, oh, I think I might apply to work at Red Lobster. And I was like, girl, I don't know if you want to do that because you don't come out smelling like fish. You shouldn't walk in and it smells like the aquarium. I just don't think that's what your restaurant should smell like. But that's just my opinion. I just don't think it's just, it should smell like the Atlanta aquarium if we're being completely honest. That's okay. Hey, hey. But it, their strawberry daiquiris, those are quite delicious. But that's the problem. When we talk about a establishment... <laughs> in the name and we talk about biscuits and daiquiris that's the problem <laughs> no one has said anything about the fish <laughs> the seafood no one has mentioned the seafood <laughs> uh, i do, i can't say one thing about the seafood is them them lobsters are fresh because they up there crawling at the door when you come you in they're scratching the window trying to get out when you come in so that's the one thing i can't say about Help. there just clawing, fighting, just fighting. Knock if you buck. <laughs> they trying to, the they trying to warn lobster. you. Go home. Go home. Uh-oh. Not this, not this. Hold on, hold on. This is real ghetto. This sign behind me is falling off. Hold on. Give me two. Oh. Give me two. Nobody asked you to create a studio today. I just, my room is a mess. We're going through it right now. We're going through it. And I just, I couldn't have y'all seeing the mess that's behind me. So you are part of two Plus, you are a co-founder of the Broadway Advocacy Coalition, as well as Black Women on Broadway, as well as just an activism through social media and through your art. You have consistently been an advocate for um, people who, who are getting less opportunities to be based on things that they cannot control. Um, in those, how do you preserve your peace, um, especially when you have to deal with, in those situations, people who you know may not have your best interest at heart, people who have ulterior motives, it can be so hard in this activism space specifically for black people to keep fighting when they feel like they're not being heard or they're not being understood. How do you preserve your peace in those moments? I think like radical self-care is very important. Just figuring out what you need, no matter what that looks like. Like I tell people my knees are so warm because I twerk at least two to three times a day. Like I just, turn on whatever ratchetness I need and just live my fullest life. That's radical self-care. You know, if I flip the camera, there's a donut puzzle, 400 pieces on this floor. I Last night, I was sitting here with my glass of wine, watching some white people mess on TV, undoing or something, and doing my donut puzzle. Like, just, I, I schedule, just like I schedule my Zoom meetings and my board meetings, I schedule my me time. I'd be so excited. Like, I can't wait to sit on my floor, watch Netflix and do my puzzle <laughs> and drink a little something or eat a little something. Like, it is just as, we cannot pour from empty cups. So we have to take time and make space to like revive ourselves, rejuvenate ourselves in whatever way. Like y'all 2020, we are going, this is uncharted territory. This is some shit nobody has ever been through. So I don't let anybody, first of all, tell me what self-care looks like. It looks like whatever like I want it to look like. <laughs> if it's just laying on the floor and staring into space and eating gummy bears, like it, it is about getting what you need and being gentle with yourself. So when I have those heavy days, when I got to sit in a board meeting or I got to talk to white people about being white, like I make sure on those days to make sure I do what I need. If it's going to that little fish spot down the place and getting my two-piece whiting with my six shrimp and my fries, I do that with my half and half. It's it's like balancing. If that's I tell y'all I'm regular, regular smegular. Y'all be thinking I'm not, I go to my fish spot, I get my fish. Black people love whiting. And they love catfish, okay? And okay. if you get a plate with a slice of Wonder Bread, some hot sauce. Okay, oh listen, listen, God. listen. Speaking of, 
vinegar, bitch. Give me hot sauce in my mouth. Vinegar and I'm <laughs> Like, it's literally, like, that is how I preserve. It's just, I have to take care of myself. I have to make moments to create things that bring me joy. I have to create moments for foolishness on Marco Polo with my girlfriends. You know, we have game nights on Zoom. It's literally just about getting what you need and knowing your body. Like, I know this morning, like I could not get out of bed. It was 10 o'clock and I was like, my body's telling me to rest. So I'm gonna lay in this bed till noon. I'm not gonna fight it. Like we fighting white people, we fighting Corona, we fighting racism. We fight, like sometimes your body is like lay down sis. And I'm like, sis, you ain't say less, sis, say less. So it's literally about like, yes, you have responsibilities and deadlines and things. And so it's just planning and balancing, being gentle with yourself, getting what you need. I, that's my mantra, I live by it. Okay, I gotta go back on something real quick. We talked about black people the loving microphone. fish. Let me tell y'all about the the Wallace Barrow family Thanksgiving I just had last week. Y'all, my mother decided it was a great idea that she wanted to have fish, fried fish for her Thanksgiving. Mind y'all, love it, love it. But that's just not, that's not my testimony. That's just, that hasn't been, that hasn't been our Thanksgivings. And so I said, I need some, I said, I need some normality. I need, I need something to, you know, I need something. I need the ham. I need, the, I don't want the turkey because it's dry, but I need the ham. I need the macaroni, but I guess you can have your fish. Y'all, it was the blackest Thanksgiving I think I've ever had. And it was great because it was, it wasn't a lot of people. It was just my grandparents and my immediate family. It was, you know, it was a real cute Sunday dinner. It felt like a, a normal Sunday dinner, but it was Thanksgiving on the, on the TV. That's the only difference. That's that's the only way I knew it was Thanksgiving. I ain't watched the parade. I ain't do nothing else, but I, it was Sunday. If you ask me. Listen, and that's fine. That is just fine with me. Give me a piece of fried catfish any day of the week. <laughs> All right. First of all, let's talk about it because Turkey is not, it's overrated. We don't eat it on Thanksgiving. You need a honey baked ham. You need mm. some mac and Ooh. cheese. Okay. You need, if you're a yam or a sweet potato person, you need it there. Okay. And then you need a green. It could be greens. It could be green beans. It can be Collins. whatever you want. Okay. Whatever you like. And a, and, a, and a Hawaiian roll, if you're feeling crazy. Okay. Okay. You lost. A Hawaiian roll or some Texas toast or whatever <laughs> bread of choice you've chosen. On the side. See, I told you, I have a and then your dessert. I have a problem with bread these days, and Hawaiian bread. We got beef. We got beef because it's too uh. it's too good. It's too good and it's too small. So I think I can eat multiple, and it, it just it adds up in the end, and it ain't cute. I'm trying to get I'm trying to get somewhat snatched when when world wants to when the world wants to come back, and it bread's not helping me. Bread I is the enemy. The bread is the enemy. He comes enemy. to kill, steal, and destroy. And I ain't gonna, I ain't gonna allow it. I ain't gonna let it. I ain't gonna, I ain't gonna, can I get an amen? What? Oh, not the, I wish I had my tambourine. I need, or I need that. Oh, Shoshana Bean. I need, Shoshana Bean. Sh not Shoshana Bean. I need that app on my phone <laughs> that has the organ. Every time you, you know, you say something, you can press that. Da, da. I need that. I need that. I move, let's move on. Let's move on. Speaking of which, Amber, your yearly review of the Thanksgiving Day Parade I, it brings me the most joy. This year specifically was hilarious because you were just going through <laughs> the clips that you wanted. You was handpicking this year. 
listen, I be trying to be nice, but some of their performances be dry and I don't have time. I'm not sure, I'm not finishing through white people being white and I don't care. And like, it's, it, you know, like sometimes I be watching it. I'm like, y'all see what I'm watching. Y'all know this is dry. I'm not trying to call nobody out, but I don't want to see this. This is terrible. I don't, but I'm, I, I, <laughs> Also when you don't know people and you still be blessing them, you'd be like, sir, I don't know who you are in the middle, but yes, sing. Cause I don't know them young men. I mean, you know, I know my friends and he is, I know he's 12 years old. I don't know the young man, but he was doing his good singing and I don't want to just ignore him cause I don't know him. So I'm like, sir, I don't know you, but you're doing your, your good singing. Wait, who? Wait, who are we talking about? Who are we talking about? It was during Ain't Too Proud. Okay. Man. Okay. Crazy story. So actually I was with him. So we both went to the Ain't Too, Ain't Too Proud open call in Detroit, like what, last year, last August. And he was there mm-hmm. and we kiki for a minute because we ended up, he knows one of the girls that went to Western um, a little before us. And so we kiki for a little bit. He went in, did his good singing. He walked out. I said, little boy, I said, little boy, mind you, he's older than me. I said, little boy, I know you got it. I know just off of this, you ain't had a, you had not a lick of callback. You ain't had a nothing, but I know, I, I don't know who you playing, but I know you're going to be in this show. Lo and behold, huh? lo and behold, we friends on Facebook, three months, four months go past. All of a sudden there's a, so excited to be joining the company of, I said, hold on. I said, hold on, hold on, hold on. I said, hold on, hold on. When I tell you he did his good singing, mm-hmm. and he went right before me. I didn't want to, I didn't want to go in after him. I did not. Huh? Want, I said, I do not. I'm not singing after you. I literally, I said, I'm not singing after you. He did, he his, did his good, his good singing. I good wasn't singing. mad about it. He did it. Praise God. He did. So Matt, if you're hearing this. Proud. Just find black men who sing. <clears throat> find black men who sing. That's really the requirement. That's what they need to put on the casting call. Find black men who sings and can roll to the flow every once in a while. He's going to have to be warm because they, they be twirling. <laughs> Your knees must be warm. Megan Megan knees only, okay? Only. I, I, I swear one day I'm going to stop talking about Ain't Too Proud, but I just, when I tell y'all, when I tell y'all, I have not seen a piece like it. I have not seen a piece like it. Y'all, I, if y'all listen to last week's, maybe this ain't even going to be in order. They're not going to know what I'm talking about. But if y'all have. Yeah, this is so far. If ahead. y'all have heard these other episodes, you know, I am a ain't too proud stand. I only yeah. want to see ain't too proud. I don't want to see no other Sean Broadway. Just take it all out and just give us five different companies that ain't too proud. Just give us five different companies. When I tell y'all, when I tell y'all. Anytime I see my friend Nasia, I say girl. I say girl. I say little girl. I say I gotta call people little girl, little boy. That's how you know you're doing something good. Little boy, little girl. That show? Man, it I'm done. Cut I'm done. I'm done. I'm mad. Now I'm mad. Uh now I'm mad. That's okay. We gonna uh uh moving on. Um we ooh, we this is the track. We over there, but that's okay. We gonna get um we're going to find a way. We're going to make it ah, tie back. Ah. Speaking of speaking of being successful and in black and on Broadway, something that people don't talk a lot about in the industry, well, people talk about it, but not people that can make change in it, is colorism. Because that is just as integral, I think, into shifting things. Like, there's a show that got some heat because they were only casting light-skinned black women for a while. Um but say the show. Diversity. Say the show. Go on, say it. Go on, say I'm it. Okay. We ain't scared okay. on here. Go on, say Thank it. You. Go on, say it. I'll say I'm okay. it. Okay. Thank you. I appreciate you though. Oh. Um, <laughs> but um, a lot of shows do this, where their terms of diversity are just casting the Zendayas, is what I would call it, um, the light, bright, long hair, 
Um, and I just want to kind of talk to you about that and talking about um, how not only we can be advocates for black people, but being an advocate for black, all black people, you know, like there's some there's like a lot of homophobia and transphobia within the black community. So making sure that when we're talking about um, Black Lives Matter and we're talking about black representation in the theater industry, we're talking about black black representation of all skin tones, of all gender identifications. Um, how have you <laughs> hair textures? OK, I'm tired of three C everywhere I go. Or 3C wigs when you know they hair ain't nobody's 3C. Uh -uh, uh -uh, How have you navigated that specific intersection? Because it's like one thing to be black in theater. It's another thing to be a black woman in theater. And then the more intersections you add, the more nuanced it has to be, I think. I mean, listen, speaking of Hamilton, um, I mean, <laughs> listen, I don't care. <laughs> Alina, come I, back, come back. Alina, come back. The thing about, and I, I'm just always very honest, you know, when you leave, um, I don't know if every show does this because I've never left a show before. Hamilton was the first show I ever left. And when you leave the show, usually before the show, they have a moment where we do happy trails and you get to say some words. And in my speech, I ended with, and you all need to cast more dark-skinned women. I was the only dark-skinned woman in this entire company from front of house to back of house. And it is an absolute disgrace. And <clears throat> it is, white people honestly don't even really know what colorism is. Like they are just finding out so much. They've been ignorant and blind for so long that they don't even know how they contribute to colorism. They don't even see it. Um, and so it, it's, we're fighting so many battles and having to educate them about so many things so quickly. It's like trying to get a toddler in diapers and in college at the same time. Like we're just doing so much. And it, it is hard because I think back to like an ex-boyfriend of mine who I was one of the first chocolate women he dated and I just I asked him like growing up like what were the images and he was like you have to think like back in the 90s it was Halle Berry it was Sanaa Lathan it was like he was like this is what the world told us was beautiful and we see it in our culture we see it in our music we see it in our entertainment like it's how we've been conditioned this is what we were told was beautiful this is what we were told was acceptable and everybody has been drinking that Kool-Aid for so long that finally we are starting to educate people and we are starting to open up their minds and they're starting to be more representative presentation but like anything it takes time and you walk into spaces as a chocolate woman with thick hair and you know I've shared a story about how a stage manager touched my hair and said oh it's looking wild today you need a brush or it, it's educating people yeah that happened on a major Broadway musical and I was fired from two subsequent gigs because I ended up writing that stage manager a letter and was very <laughs> I call it like Nene Leaks. It was very nice, nasty, but I really was educating him. I was saying, first of all, let me tell you about my story, about my journey to loving myself. I grew up in Georgia and my family's from South Carolina. And when I would go visit my aunts, I would run around with my hair in braids Monday through Friday. And on Saturday, my aunt would whisper to my mother, so you know you gotta straighten her hair if y'all going to church with us on Sunday. It was instilled in me from my own family that my natural hair was not acceptable out in public. You can run around looking like a little nappy head in, in this house, but when you step outside, we straighten our hair. I told him, you know, about going to Howard, about my journey to, to going to natural hair and having perms. Like I talked to him about how 
I'm glad he said that to me because if he had said it to another black woman who wasn't, you know, close with the Lord and working on her journey, he would be fired and he wouldn't have never worked nowhere near nobody ever again. I told him how his words hurt, how he didn't under, like, I just, I really, but I tried to educate, like, I tried to be like, let me, let me tell you a little something about black people in black culture. And this is not, my hair is not wild. This is how my hair grows out of my head. Unlike white people's, it don't fall limp. It grows up like a crown. This shit is powerful and strong and you could never. And a version, <laughs> I went and because what happened is when I got home that day from rehearsal, I went to Facebook. I didn't say his name. I didn't say the shawl record on. I said, a stage manager touched my hair and said this, what, what should I do? Not what should I do to get back at him? Like, how can I be a better black person? Like, cause I was minding my business. I was literally making tea. I didn't, wasn't saying anything. I wasn't twerking. I wasn't being loud. I was silently making tea. How can I avoid situations like this? And everybody was like, call equity, get him fired. What's his name? And I was like, no, y'all. I'm just trying to figure out how to be. And a version of that Facebook post got back to the director. And when it was time to hire me for that project again and another project, she told a room full of producers and fancy people that I was a liability and I couldn't be trusted. So now I was out of work. She cost me money. She cost it, a lot of things. It was just like a, a spiral of a spiral of a spiral. And when I finally had lunch with her, because I found her assistant's phone number, and I said, I need to have lunch with this person. Period. Yeah. I need to have a conversation. And of course, did she, she walked into the meeting crying buckets of white tears because she knew all I had to do was call Playbill and I would have shut all of her shit down. That's what she knew. And she knew I was that type of bitch, but I wasn't at that place in my life. I was just trying to get a little understanding and clarity. So I say all of that to say, I have navigated the Broadway space as a chocolate woman with dark skin hair. I have been on shows. My first show, Rent at New World Stages, they wanted me to cut all of my hair off because they had hired too many women who had the same aesthetic. Not because I was playing a role that required me to shave my hair. We weren't doing wit. I didn't have breast cancer. It wasn't like I needed to be bald. They had hired too many women who were light-skinned with curly hair. So they wanted me to have no hair at all. And I was like, no, I'm not doing that. And, And this was the thing that killed me, was when they showed me the picture of the haircut that I wanted to have, they wanted me to have, it was a woman with 3A hair. So it was like short and it was the spiral ringlets. And I was like, if I cut my hair off, it will never look like that because I don't have that texture. And a white uh, hair man, he sat in front of me and said, I've been doing hair for 35 fucking years. How dare you tell me? I said, motherfucker, I've been black for 27 years. How the hell are you gonna tell me what my hair gonna do? I have been fighting ignorant white people in this industry for a long time about my hair, about complexion. And it is, I mean, it is so, the burden that black people have to carry, we don't get to just show up and do our jobs. We gotta educate people on racism, colorism, what to say, what not to say, stereotype. Like we, it is so miserable that that amount of pressure and responsibility is put on our shoulders because we can't trust white people to do the work on their own because they don't know they don't even know what to Google. They don't know the Google colorism. They don't know Google race. They don't know what books to read. They don't know what websites to visit. Oh. So we have. They're gonna keep being dumb. It y'all. I mean, just I think about 
when I was going to get new headshots a couple years ago. And me and my agents were at that point where we wanted to shift my career into a certain direction. These are the type of roles we want to get. And the first thought that came to my mind was, well, I got to straighten my hair. I remember mm. doing Hamilton and we were singing at game five between the, the uh, Miami, I think, who knows, it was Cleveland and, and uh, the Warriors. And the first thing that mm-hmm. I got to straighten my hair. Like, I'm 30 and still deprogramming from what my aunt told me when I was four years old, that my hair, because a boy told me when I was six, never forget this, six or seven. He was like, wow, you can't be dark skin and have natural hair. Like the two of those things existing at the same time as a dark skin woman with natural hair. But that's a real thing to get in this mm-hmm. industry, to have a level of success. Sometimes I'm like, yeah, what if I did just rock the straighter wigs? Cause at least with the dark skin, it would contrast with having the straighter hair. Like that shit is real. Wondering if that's why you're not getting romantic lead type of roles. Wondering if that's why it's, there's a level of like strength and aggression and like those kind of roles that you get, like the strong black woman, not the soft black woman. Is it my skin tone? Is it my hair? Is it the combination of both? It's so tricky. And you never know if one is the problem, if both are the problem. You you don't you have no idea. And you just have to get to a point where you are content with who you are. You know, I've been natural for 10 years. It's still a struggle every day. I want to permit every two minutes. I want to cut it off every six. But the journey to loving myself and the journey to saying, you know what, I have to advocate for those who look like me. I have to let little chocolate drops all over the world know that you can be more than just the best friend or the funny cousin, that you can write, direct, executive produce and star in your own thing and be freaking everything. You don't have to wait for people to decide that chocolate is beautiful, that thick natural hair is beautiful. You can come out the gate being like, I'm bad and what? it's, it's, It's really hard. It's really hard because you watch certain creative teams who all look the same. So they hire women who look like them and they decide that a certain role is very virginal and very pure. So naturally that role has to be played by a woman who is very light and very bright and has very straight hair because that's what they equate with being pure and beautiful and and attractive and an object of desire. You just watch people continue to operate from a space of ignorance and you do what you can to speak up. Like that's been the greatest blessing of this pandemic is a lot of production teams and a lot of shows have been having these Zoom meetings. You know, we had a Hamilton Zoom. We told them about their problems, about their colorism, about these wigs that are trash because y'all don't have people doing the wigs who are educated in textured hair. Y'all, I have, I receipts, she keeps. I have videos of how my hair supervisor would put my wig on my head and be like, I know you'll fix it. And I would spend 20 minutes styling my own wig because he did not know, he was very vocal. He had no knowledge of how to maintain textured hair on the biggest show ever. And I was the only dark skinned woman in the whole show. So the only woman who had this textured hair, this textured wig, I was the only person in the whole cast who got both of my rigs rebuilt because they were destroyed because the man didn't know how to maintain them. People think like, once you get to Broadway, oh, it's magic and every, no, it's the same bullshit you be dealing with in community theater. People just got more money and more time. Speak on it. So 
colorism, hairism, whatever you want to call it, it's it's alive and well. <laughs> we we have a long way to go. We have a lot to teach. White people have a lot to learn, and it's it's unfortunate, but I'm glad we have this time and space because I think we our tolerance level for that bullshit is now at an all time low. Like we are not gonna allow it anymore. We don't have time for it. And y'all have had a year to go on YouTube and go to the Paul Mitchell School of Hair and figure out how to to maintain black people's hair. You, you, We have nothing but time to figure out how we can be more inclusive, actually, how representation can be. We just, There's nothing but time. So when we go back, there will be no excuses. And that is what I'm most excited about is time is up. Come on. Hashtag figure it out. Woo. Hashtag you you know how many black YouTubers got hair tutorials, makeup tutorials, and it's still every time I do a show, uh, they'll sit a picture of Jackie Ina or some and some YouTuber. Like, can you just do something that looks like this? I I'm sure you got it. I who Lordy Lord, I am natural now. It's a struggle, but uh uh when I first went natural, I didn't know what to do with my hair and I straighten it once a year to like cut it and I was like, Maybe I should just keep it straight. Maybe I'll get more roles. Maybe they'll look at me as more of an ingenue type structure. And at the end of the day, they're going to cast me as whatever they're going to cast me in. And I'm going to still have to do my own hair. And that's what you were saying about being black is like you can't just be an actor. You have to be your makeup artist. You have to be your hair designer, your hair uh, maintainer. You got to be making sure that the costumes look right, they fit you right, making sure that you're handling all these extra things that no one else around you has to handle. It's a full-time job. You got to be an activist. Like there's a quote about like how black women, black men, we didn't want to be activists. It came out of necessity. Mm -hmm. It came out of watching too many people turn a blind eye. It's like, y'all don't see this? Y'all ain't saying shit? Okay, well I, guess, well, I guess I'm an activist now. Okay, I guess I'm in the NAACP. <laughs> this is not anything any of us set out to do. We don't want to do this. Broadway Advocacy Coalition, I wish it didn't exist. And I don't say that. And I say that because I wish the world was equitable. And I wish yeah. people weren't stupid. BAC exists because white people be out here being stupid. Well, that's well. Period. And that's Amber. Amber, Amber, <laughs> you are, I mean, we already stand you in both of our households, um, but you are just wonderful. If you could go back in time mm -hmm. to either a 10-year-old Amber or just a 10-year-old young black woman entering, who's thinking about, maybe I want to do this mm -hmm. for a career, what's something you would tell them that you wish someone told you? Mm -hmm. I think about what Billy Porter told me he came to see a workshop that I was doing. I didn't know him at the time, hadn't done Shuffle Along yet. And he pulled me aside and he was like, okay, I see a lot of myself in you. He said, you black, you ain't small, you ain't small and cute. I said, wait, hold on. He said, no, 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 listen, listen to me all the way out. He was like, you know, you ain't one of them tiny petite little Polly Pocket type of bitches. He would say, you 30, but you look 12. He said, I just watched you do a show where you played from six to 60 and I believed every second of it. He said, for black women, a lot of times y'all don't hit until y'all are in your thirties because white people don't know what to do with you. He said, your job is to figure out how to stay sane until they figure it out. You're gonna have to create your own work. You're gonna have to tell your own story in your own way. And I heard him, but I didn't receive it because I didn't want that to be my story. 
I wanted to be walking through Central Park. A famous producer sees me and is like, you. And I'm like, yes. And he's like, here's the script. And I'm like, thank you. And he's like, here's your Tony. And I'm like, thank you. And I get married. I move to LA and I'm famous and I'm rich. That's what I wanted to happen. Point blank, period. I didn't want to have to be out here raising money and writing my own stuff and sweating and bleeding. I just wanted the thing to happen to me. And it was, I had to divorce myself from time. I had to divorce myself from the idea of it's going to happen to you this very specific way. You know, I thought I need to be married and at least pregnant with my first child by 28. I don't know who told me that, but there's so much pressure from the outside world that you have to do things in a certain time in a certain way. And if it doesn't happen by this point, then it's not going to happen to you at all. And so if I could go back in time, I would just want to say, it's going to happen. And what is for you will not pass you. Like I, when I tell you, I, I believe that from the rooter to the tutor, that's what I mean. Like when it comes to money, when it comes to men, relationships, career, what is for me will not pass me. It's not gonna happen necessarily in the time that I wanna happen. It might not necessarily look the way I want it to look, but every time I turn around and look backwards, look at a role that I wanted, a role that I didn't get, I'm like, oh, I couldn't get that role because the other one was coming. If I had gotten this, I would have been unavailable for these three blessings. Like it, it never makes sense in the moment, but whenever I pass it and look back, I'm like, oh, there was a reason. And there was a season God was hiding me from something. God was protecting me from something. God knew that if I had done that, it would have messed with me mentally. It would have set me up spiritually for some kind of warfare that I would not have been able to fight. Like, I just, I want to tell that little girl, like, wait, be patient be steadfast, take care of yourself, and the chips are gonna fall. Like, I might not be Halle Berry and Gabrielle Union until I'm 42, but that's fine. You know what I'm saying? Because by then I will be emotionally mature. I will be financially stable. Like, you gotta go through the therapies. You gotta go through the lows to get to the highs. You know, we want it to be a constant uphill climb. And sometimes that bitch look like Superman, one of them roller coasters, up and down, round and round. And I, I realized I learned more from the valleys than we do on the mountaintop. Because when you in the, when you got a scrape, when you hustling, when you can't cry, when you can't cry no more tears, when you can't get out of bed, when you can't, when you like, Lord, come through in some kind of way, like that's when you're like, that's when that that thing is etched. That's when like that diamond in the rough thing. That's when you like, okay. Okay, God, you had to send me to the bottom because you know, you see the light. I don't necessarily see it, but you know it's coming. So I just, it's all about patience. It's all about knowing that what is for you will not pass you. And just, it's its really a faith walk. It really is. It's having faith that God is going to deliver on those things that he promised you because he never gave any of us a timeline. He And that's the thing we get caught up on. It's like, God never said it's going to happen by, he said, I'm not going to leave you no more forsake you. I'm not going to give you more than you can bear. He said, you know, the desires of your heart. He said all those things. He just never gave us a deadline. <laughs> a fan has come out of nowhere and I'm cracking. <laughs> Corey, where are you getting all of this from? I'm right. Where is it coming from? Well, I keep, I don't keep a lot of things, but things that I love, I keep, and this is my Elijah Kelly fan. Oh my. Oh me God, I wish y'all could see this face. He's so fine, Jesus. We love you, Elijah Kelly, wherever you are. Bishop Iman, you just spoke a good word. 
a good word. And it's not even Sunday. First lady, deaconess. It's not even Sunday. And you just can't prepare it with a word. Listen, the Lord gave it to me. That means I got to give it to the people. Hello? <laughs> what time is service on Sunday? Are we going, are we on Zoom? Are we on Facebook Live? Are we in purse? Are we in the parking lot? Where are we going to have church? Y'all are too much. You know, okay, okay, let's let's wrap it on that because I feel God in this place right here, but I can't, I can't move, I can't move. All right, so what are your current obsessions? If what is you know, it could be a book, it could be a song, it could be an artist, it could be a TV show that you watched on Netflix last night while you did your puzzle. What are your current obsessions? My current obsessions are like I love picking a trap artist and making a Spotify playlist and just discovering new music I can bounce my ass to. Like I j- literally my new thing. And like, if I'm ever if, in this place where I'm like, Oh bitch, I need to Shazam this bitch. This tend to be <laughs> Shazam. <laughs> like any song that make my whole, my titties mouth and my ass. I'm like, Oh, this is it. This way. Okay, is it bad? Is it bad that I don't have? It's not a specific genre of music that I want to twerk to these days. It could be no anything. It's been gospel songs. Just sometimes they just hit. So, Kirk Franklin go so, up. So, Kirk Franklin go sometimes up. Sometimes they just hit, and it, it's not even on purpose. It's, sometimes you, just, I catch myself doing it. That's our ancestors. The drums are in us. Okay, we can't help what words they put on top of the drums. That's not our. <laughs> we can't help that. I cannot you know and I feel I feel bad it's a new song it's hold on I gotta tell y'all what the song is called I heard it on my way to the on my way to the gym the other day and it is just so gospel it's like good old church like stomp like hardwood floors like tambourine people are harmony somebody flat but we still gonna put it on the album anyway the song is called. You did not. Hold on, hold on. it's it. it's only one girl. I know she in her her seventy somewhere. She's some she's the mother of the church, and they let her on the album. The song is called. She got a warble. Can you hear it in the warble? If the vibrato slow down, then she you just know. she just if behind. The, if that vibrato is two miles an hour, you know. It's called. This. It's called "Serve God Till I Die" by James L. Patterson. When I tell y'all, it gives me a good a good a bounce, a just a good bounce. But Sir. she. Okay, got it. Thank you. But just don't. What's your obsession this week, Corey? Um, this week. Okay, so at work they keep playing this Leslie Odom song that I just I never heard. It's a Christmas song because we all Christmas at work. Um, please come home for Christmas. For some reason I had not heard. But he does this little this little cute little a good a good little a good little riff up. And I said I said hmm. And I heard I was working with them bad children, them bad kids. And I heard it in the corner in the corner of my ear. I said, hold on, hold on, hold on. I literally, I had to stop what I was doing and I walked over to the TV. I said, I never heard a song. And I put out Shazam. Yes, I did. I put out Shazam and Shazam so gave, gave me the song. Leslie does his good singing. Let me tell you so, something about him. He does his good singing. It, um, he do it on purpose because he, he do it on purpose and I'm mad. He do it on purpose and I'm mad. He did uh, on his, okay, one quick, quick, quick. On his new Christmas album, he has a song with the Walls group. And it's uh, the Hawaiian Christmas song. I shouldn't, it, we, I'm not in Hawaii. I'm not, I shouldn't feel it as much as I do. But the way they do some good, I grew up on quartet music. So I just, the, it just hits. I grew up oh, on I some, love it. So that's just, anytime I hear it, I'm instantly, okay, that's a hit. That's it. That's the one. 
And that song, I don't even know what it's like. Hi, Khalili, my, my. It's something like that. So, sound like the song. I'm still mad at Leslie because I sang on the first album, but I'm not credited, so a lot of people don't know it's me. Ooh, 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 ooh. You're on Silver Lining, aren't you? So that's, I'm sorry I'm singing them oohs and ahs and wop de bop. I know it. Leslie? I need a redo. Leslie? I know you listening. That's, where's your, you getting... You getting your you getting your residuals. And that's okay, because I know me and Leslie, we're gonna do something soon. I know the the Lord puts it in my spirit. So it's wait, fine. It's put fine. me on it. Wait, put <laughs> wait, put me on a song. I'm just I just wanna dance in the back. I just wanna be a praise dancer with my flag in the back. That's it. That's it. I want I want me a purple flag. I want a purple flag. Just purple. I don't want no other color. I want purple. And I just wanna be in the back. Okay. Okay. Good night. All right, Corey. All right, Corey. All right. I'm done. I'm done playing with y'all today. That got me tired. Anyway. Oh, wait. My current obsession. What is your obsession? Okay. So I I, I held out because when white people get excited about a show, I don't want to watch it because usually I'm not going to be into it. However, The Crown, I started watching. And there's something, especially in this time, so relieving watching white people be messy. That's it. Okay. That is it. Okay. That's and it's just to watch because there's no black people because how could there be? Couldn't. Um, um, there were in the first episode because they went to Africa, but other than that, um, I there's something so relieving about just watching white people be messy with one another yeah. and leave us alone. It, Issa Rae tweeted that. That's why she was watching The Undoing because she liked white people mess. And I love that. I love when white people be adultering and cheating and stealing and lying, but not from us. When they just do it to the, each other. I love it. I love it. Brings me. It's lovely. And like Real Housewives, My uh, I just got my friend to start watching Real Housewives and she's been watching all the white ones. Oh. Mm-mm. And it's great because it's just they're so messy with each other. It's just nice to not watch black people hurt black other black people or watch white people try to hurt black people. Just watching them mess with each other. Do that. Keep that and up. I love Caucasian confined mess. Yes. Send it to Caucasia. Don't let it seep out over here. Keep it in Caucasia. I love it. Keep it in the caucus mouth. The one problem okay, that I have with that, though, as great us. as it is... They just, they find the easiest ways to resolve it. And I'm like, it ain't that easy. And maybe that's just a TV for me. But they resolve their problems in two seconds. And I just know that's not it. I know that's not the testimony. Then you need to watch The Crown. Because what they do is, I guess the London way is to suppress. And then bring it up when you're really mad a year later. Because that's what they be doing. They be suppressing them emotions. And then a year later, they be like, well, you, during The Crown, you didn't give me your last name. And... Just so that's the London. They just suppress it. They petty. They just all hold. They hold it all in. So just maybe watch the. Pray that I can get on that board because right now we I ain't feeling it. Gentle with yourself. It's okay. It's all right. Right now we watching. We watching baby stuff. We you know I love my white TV too. We watching Dawson's Creek. You know the good old. So you know, know, and I don't. It's all right. It's I'm just a big Michelle Williams fan. So you know we we're working our way up. But you know I'm. Between that and girlfriends, so I'm getting, you know, I'm getting the best of both worlds. I'm getting, I'm getting, you know, it's a good place to be. But I'm in, the, you know, I'm in the phase where they don't like Jones, so like I'm not really, I'm not vibing uh, too much. So we, I'm almost, I'm almost at the end, almost at the end. Okay. I'm weak. Amber, thank you so much for joining us today. Yeah, um, and for listening to us be crazy and ridiculous. Me. This was so much fun. 
for the people who love you and somehow don't know you because they're maybe they've never maybe they don't do theater maybe they just listen to this maybe they stupid um where can they find you where can they find you is there a place they can pay to stream steve is there a place where they can find your work i love that my website is um www.ambrimon.com um the website is a moment because I may have written a song for the website. So if you've never been, it's a moment, amberimon.com. Um, you can also follow me on Instagram at amberimon underscore. I post everything there. Um, Steve, Wait, you, you can been Moa Black Woman whenever you feel like, you know, just thank her for being Black and excellent. Amber Dash Iman on, on Venmo. Um, <laughs> <laughs> always post on on uh, my Instagram where you can see Steve because of the um, guidelines for all the film festivals. I can't post Steve like on YouTube yet, but whenever Steve is in a competition or is being viewed, I always post on on my Instagram. Boom. Yes. Yes. Period. Period. So make sure y'all go to the website, okay? Listen to the original song, which will be uh, Grammy-nominated next year, Period. okay? Michael's going to get his this year, and then we're going to move oh. on. Um, thank you so much, Amber. Yes. This, has been, this has been the highlight of my day, truly. This has yes. been a grand time. <laughs> I've so had ha- so much fun. Awesome. <laughs> I'm so happy now. I can go do some flips outside right now. You just listened to another episode of Fourth Wall, the podcast. If you like Fourth Wall, head over to Apple Podcasts and give us five stars. You can also follow our journey on Instagram at This Is Fourth Wall and on Facebook at Fourth Wall. And if you have any questions, ideas for new episodes, thoughts, want to submit a letter that we can read aloud, or just want to say hey, email us at fourthwallthepodcast at gmail.com. That is fourthwallthepodcast at gmail.com. All right, y'all. I hope you guys have an amazing, amazing week. And we will see you next time for some good, I mean, good conversation on Fourth Wall, the podcast. Bye, y'all.